This is the one with a wide grey corridor. A doppelganger. The not Dr. Donna. Some heavy-handedness. And the TARDIS has had enough. It's called Wild Blue Yonder. Here we go. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zoo, and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this hour to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? What ho, ladies and gentlemen, happy new year, and all in between and beyond, you as well, <laughs> yep. Welcome to yet another thoroughly professional episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or, or Dog Path. Path. Entirely true, because 2024 is the year we catch up. Again! <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> Maybe twice. But who are we catching up again? Well, you've probably guessed from my shrill, annoying tones that I'm Drew Back When, but next to me, with like liquid chocolate oozing from his mouth, beacherine style, <laughs> is the estimable Leon. Oh, why, thank you very much. Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. And excitingly, for lots of podcast land, we have a Berliner, but it's not Jim, it's Marie. Ooh, hello. It's, it's not Jim, it's me. <laughs> hello, Marie. <laughs> hello. Hello, podcast land. Andrew. Well, people and love Jim, but people love Marie. <laughs> Shh, Jim can hear you. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> People love Jim too. <laughs> People write in and tell Jim how much you love him, but only after we have reviewed N177 Wild Blue Yonder, the second of the 60th anniversary specials. Uh, Marie, <laughs> you're not a special guest. You're just a special person in general. Why don't you go first and tell us high level what you thought of this? That's very kind of you to say, Drew. Um, high level, I just want to preface this by saying I am predisposed to... This episode. This so so I've been trying so very hard <laughs> to stamp down my inner critic and just see it for what it is and not just be angry and annoyed the whole time. But some of that might seep through. So that's just, <laughs> that's going to be the general tone of my <laughs> review oh, today. I'm thrilled to hear it. <laughs> for all the people who couldn't see it, which is everyone, all Marie's body language and hand gestures were indicating how she was having to physically repress the bile that kept rising in her throat as she thought about half of the cast list of this episode. Yeah, she picked up a charade card and it said nothing but revulsion on it. <laughs> like, all right, how do I manifest this? <laughs> the collar, the gorge was rising. Man. Leon, did you fare any better? I am thrilled to hear that you <laughs> you were not a huge fan, Marie, for two reasons. The first reason is that I believe I saw one of our iTunes comments mention mentioning you, Marie, saying, Oh, Marie always loves all of these episodes. Well <laughs> <laughs> and the second reason is I absolutely love this episode. Same page club. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, no. We completely fucked up the high five slash fist bump. Not seeing page cover at all. Except I, I, I'm on a lag. I'm, I, it's Zen Costa. I'm on a lag. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. I freaking love this episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Oh, Marie, you're going to have to defend your stance this evening. I look forward to Don't learning. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to my side. <laughs> Perfect. Without further ado, shall we get on with summarizing this in a similarly high level way? Oh, let's. 
Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and, and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a, a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Fresh from some leisurely bands asking Isaac Newton how does he like them apples, Doc and Donna hurtle to a fiery stop aboard a mysterious spaceship where the first thing the TARDIS regenerates is its hostile action displacement system so it can finally put itself back together in peace. Turns out their landing pad was up a corridor so long that it punches the very bounds of the universe and penetrates the intercosmic space-slash-not-space-nothing-no-thing voidy kind of realmy realm, but clangs on the hull and a puzzling airlock action put them on the edge at the edge of creation. With only a succession of untranslatable words periodically refurbishing the scenery as clues, Doc and Donna must end the hostile action and in the process come face to face to face with their own worst nightmares, slowing down, being called stupid, and maybe even a countdown. over. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to start, not with a question, but with my favourite part of the episode. Oh. My whole favourite part of this episode, and this may get Marie's bile rising, is oh, where yeah. not Donna collapses. She pivot, pitches forward, laughing into a puddle, and goes, super common. And she's like, oh, what a prize you are. My favourite part of the whole episode. Interestingly, I thought that was great acting on her part. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've literally singled out that scene as, oh yeah, no, she totally redeems herself. <laughs> and also, Tennant, on his side, he moves from, he's just opened himself up, he's made himself vulnerable, and he goes from that to betrayal to utter disgust that he's been mm. taken in by this thing. And so I, there's so much to love in this entire episode, but that moment especially is particularly sweet. Did that get your bile arising, Marie? No, that was fine. I didn't mind that. Yeah. That was a good, a good piece of drama. Very nice. Hey, three for three. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's an interesting scene because it cements the year of the gas leak as canon. The flux happened. Yeah. And half the universe was dest- destroyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in fact, it's going to be used as the justification for him stepping away next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm glad. I am glad that they didn't just ignore that. I had a really worrisome aura that they would just erase, like, a lot of Whitaker's era and they would just be like no that didn't happen I'm gonna pick up where I left off with Tennant and everything else is just someone else's show it's nice to see it all being referred to yeah I think I probably agree with that if they acknowledge that it happened which they've now done and then never ever return to it happiest chap in the world well that's exactly no. what they set up isn't it and we'll talk about it more next week but that is what RTD's doing he's wiping the slate clean he's been like okay I'm acknowledging it as little as possible while being respectful and now I'm going off and doing my thing like it never happened. Yeah, next week. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely, yeah, you're right. Good point. And it made the end of this episode on the rewatch a lot more emotionally resonant. Mm. Watching it the first time, I didn't get any of that because I didn't know what was coming. Oh. But now I realised that it sets it up super well. I think we're going to have to somehow retrospective that next week as well. Okay. Anyone else have any favourite moments? Oh, favourite moments? Marie, you love everything. I'll tell you what I wrote down. The last <laughs> note of the day was Will. <laughs> <laughs> Wilf got, right. Wilf got the first genuine smile of the episode. <laughs> the first, the very last scene gets the first <laughs> positive emotional reaction. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what did you? Okay. <laughs> I tell you, if if someone in a, an underground shop with selling monkeys' paws said you only have one smile left for the rest of your life, you'd save it up for, for Bernard Cribbin. That's not oh, super uh, far away from Cyberpunk. Hundred percent. Right. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, Wolf can have all my smiles, honestly. He was very yeah. sweet. Big fan of Wolf. Yeah, nice. I'm curious to hear about everything that preceded that concluding smile, though, Marie. I get, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you take the lead here? What is it that really got you going? Do you know what? I'm surprised by Drew. I have a question for Drew, because at one point, Uh-oh. I was building a theory in my head. And the theory was that RTD is a Who Back When fan, and he loves the show, and he watches <laughs> it every week. And Drew is his favorite, and he really oh. loves it when you go on an angry rant. And so he was like, okay, how can I wind up Drew the most? What can I do so that he can rant about my show? I know, I'll set it entirely in corridors and I'll make the whole thing a <laughs> countdown. And, um, <laughs> and he did, and you somehow love it. What happened? <laughs> I love it because to answer both parts of those questions, it is the best corridor action we've ever had. I don't think we've ever had vehicles racing down a corridor, bouncing off the sides of the corridor, spinning in the corridor. We've never had a setting that is solely a corridor surrounded by corridors. It's yeah. only corridors. The entire thing. Oh, sorry. Is there is corridors. there is a cockpit as well, but that cockpit is at the end of a corridor. <laughs> yeah. And there are service corridors and sub corridors and meta corridors and para corridors all around this single central corridor. Wait, let's get a drone to get a shot of the exterior of this corridor. <laughs> <laughs> I think of doctor who corridors previously as all creeping like tiptoeing walking slowly or like just cheap scenery this wasn't that this was a stage this was an enormous stage and okay it was a very linear one but they did a lot more with it than your your typical everyday doctor who corridor and the refurbishments were part it was a mysterious corridor there was stuff going on with that corridor i've never seen happening in any other corridor you're referring to the walls changing shape and whatnot yeah i'm talking about the corridor countdown nexus what is the corridor changing appearance and why which second rate ship's engineer decided to program when one particular countdown occurs that a door flips 360 degrees so that people (laughs) spin and end up exactly where they started (laughs) yeah no there are moments of this that are not thought through (laughs) but there are are dumb moments in this episode definitely yes but the second part the countdown part your question marie is that Yes, it was ultimately a countdown, but it wasn't obviously a countdown from the beginning. In fact, Tennant said could be a countdown. Then they proceeded to ignore that theory for ages. It came back to it. It was like, it wasn't Agatha Christie level kind of mystery, <laughs> but, but it was handled with a little more elegance than your conveyor belts, which we will get to two episodes from now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I have forgot about that. Mm. The horizontal countdown. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Can I ask a question about this ship? Where's the crew? Oh, as in, where was the crew? Where was the crew? At what? any point. Yeah, what happened to the crew? Mm. Yeah, I'm not talking about the captain who's outside and, like, how do you know it was the captain? But it doesn't matter. Like, how, I'm not talking about the one one individual outside. Where, mm. What happened to the crew? And how big That's was the crew? Because this corridor stretches towards the very horizon. It's, a, it's an enormous spaceship yeah and what was the point of this corridor shaped spaceship why is it this is the most least efficient because if you build the longest spaceship in the cosmos and you travel towards the edge of the universe you have to travel that much less far to get there if you build i think actually it's also a time saver because if you build a spaceship that's really long you're already at the destination yeah yeah exactly. they're still oh, building sorry, I, didn't, I didn't understand that i'm sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> you already got that <laughs> In fact, they built it so long that the the tip, just the tip, tipped into the end of the wormhole and then it was gone and the builders are at the other end holding their materials. I see what you're saying. Damn it. 
that's in fact the one kind of negative for this story is we don't really get to know the backstory of the spaceship. We don't find out what it was doing, where it was heading. Yeah, it fell into a wormhole, but, very sort but, of event horizon. But it's very alien, isn't it? Because on the Nostromo, wasn't there just one giant? What is it? It's some kind of crab or prawn creature or whatever it is that they find at the very beginning when they in the alien egg they go place. to the pilots in, i'm talking about the pilot the pilot yeah i'm trying not to mix prometheus into this but yeah it, it, oh i haven't seen that the, yeah they find the pilot and in on the spaceship there are all these eggs and one of them contains a face hugger yeah yeah so there's only one pilot nobody asks where's all the pilots co-pilots yeah that's true but are you suggesting that this gigantic corridor was piloted by one <laughs> single individual there wasn't a backup there wasn't a co-pilot i suppose there's only one chair in the cockpit so how maybe hard is it to pilot maybe that's all you need yeah she's got an ancient robot to do all the manual lever yeah fastest robot in the galaxy um <laughs> oh poor old jimbo <laughs> oh jimbo. <laughs> i do like that robot actually it's very nice yeah. That's quite cute. I actually, I think that's another nice moment. I like the robot. Yeah, production design in general in this episode is really yeah. nice. Even the yeah, corridor. I mean, yeah, we're talking about it being corridor central, and Doctor Who obviously is like the most corridor centric TV show ever. But these corridors look fucking gorgeous. Even mm. when they do the twisty thing, 180 degrees, and they're on in hidden corridors. Put a pin on that for next episode. We already talked off mic. There's the, the a repeat. But yeah, they're in their own individual uh, corridors. Those corridors look stunning. In fact, they look very Nostromo-esque yeah. when they're walking around there in the dark. Beautiful. Yeah, and I watched the Doctor Who Unleashed for this episode mainly to watch the tribute to Bernard Cribbins. But along the way, there were lots of tidbits about the sort of alien level of effort they went into. Like when they're talking about the horse language, let's say, counting down from 10 to 0, they decided to represent that pictorially on the buttons. They were like, okay, so how would the horse alphabet have developed if you can only write using your hooves. I was just going to say, do you think they had hooves? Yeah, and so they were, they were like, they based it on like a clop mark and a drag mark and an edge and so they went wow. to that level of detail oh, and wow. you will see that on all the buttons and in the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. That's, that's super clever and very creative and I have absolutely no doubt that if ever a horse-based in, in life form <laughs> develops to a, to such a point that they're super intelligent. They've also developed past hooves. You can't do anything with a hoof. You can't can do fuck all with a hoof. Oh, tie your shoelaces. I can't. I've got hooves. They, they don't have opposable thumbs. They can't do anything. That's such a humocentric way of thinking. Who's going to need shoelaces? Well, they don't even have suction horse. cups. Like they, they have nothing they can pick up with. Uh, uh, two hooves can do hooves. what two fingers can do. You can pick up something. With, uh, I'm miming it. <laughs> Maybe that's oh, yeah, why. Quite... I do you know what I hadn't really clocked that. I like I know the face of the captain was like a horse shaped face, but I hadn't really clocked that they would look like horses. I think I assumed it was oh. like a humanoid body with a horse's head. Oh th no, this was like instantly. I I wrote horse aliens hot. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they have a super long corridor because they like to just run and race. They need a long. They have oh, why? Yeah. Why do they have a car? Why do they have a car? Yeah, how, yeah. How does a horse sit in the car? Yeah, th this was a bipedal horse though. We get to see the spacesuit of the captain, right? It's a bipedal yeah. horse. It's like a reverse centaur. <laughs> it's like a horse head on a human body. No, the but that's what I mean. This, by the way. <laughs> That's what I said. That's what I mean. I feel like it was a humanoid horse with a horse head. Okay, so yeah, I was right. Absolutely, yeah. but like the cranium okay. is is like. So they don't need the long plane to run on. Then they're just maybe they still maybe it's a callback to the old yeah. days and they do still enjoy running. But 
Oh, oh, oh I see. Yeah, you've got to stay fit in space somehow. You can't let your muscles atrophy just being ferried to and fro in that bloody little car. Okay, so they. I actually really like the car, though. <laughs> Oh, do you? So cute. Yeah. Golf cars. Well, that was nice. Yeah. And in a very green screeny kind of background, it was nice and physical the way yeah. it fell apart at the end. And the little hubcap went for a roll. And he's holding the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Very nice. Mm. But yes, your question does explain why we never end up in running through any living quarters. For example, well, they because cr- then the immediate question is, oh, who was sleeping in those bedrooms? Yeah, they crashed the TARDIS into a little side room, and it's an empty room, a room with no purpose. They walk through corridors adjacent to the main corridor, corridors apparently with no purpose. So yeah. what is this ship? Like, where is the crew? What was it doing? Th- this is part of what I think is really exciting about going to a an abandoned spaceship. I can't really think of an episode now, but I, I feel like we've had several of these. Oh, wait, yes, the first Wirren episode, the... Good old days of of classic Who is showing up on an empty spaceship. Like every everyone's everyone's gone or everyone's dead or like you don't know. So you have to understand what this place is about, what's going on. Here they find one robot, rusty robot, walking very slowly, and one skeleton outside. Yeah, I, I want to know why they're there. What was the ship about? How did this mm. creature outside not just freeze? Why is it a skeleton? <laughs> like I I don't know lots of stuff about this thing that brought. Like, why were they out exploring the universe before they ended up going through a black hole? True. I guess the girl in the fireplace fireplace was another, like, empty ship. Yes, exactly. And then the mystery becomes, why is this ship empty? What is this ship about? And, yeah, I feel like that's... I hate to call it a missed opportunity because this affords us the opportunity to instead spend a bottle episode with Doc and Donna, and it's lovely. Just uh, possible. I don't want to. I don't want to give this episode any help, but maybe because uh-huh. uh, we also don't know where the creatures come from. There's this idea of oh, they must have come in when the, the horse had opened. <laughs> But we don't. No, the not the horse people. The weird. Oh, the other people. Yeah, yeah. Those things, because they Donna assumes that they come in when they open the airlock, but then that's proven to be false, and so we don't know where they came from. So, what if they somehow, wherever the horse people come from, these creatures were there, and they isolated them and managed to trap them in this ship, and then her job, the captain, was just to get them as far away as possible, and it was like a suicide mission, and that's why she doesn't have any crew. Oh, so escape pod's gone somewhere else, and yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a great explanation. I would have liked to have that explanation delivered in the episode as well. That's a great It's a really good retro rewrite. Yeah, yeah, we we don't know where they come from. This is the eerie element of, oh, we're at the end of the universe, anything can happen and they probably came they probably lived out there and came in but that's not true like the escape pod was the captain going out so we yeah. don't know where they came from yeah you brought up the aliens the foes of the week should we talk about them how do you guys feel about them it's very midnight-esque isn't it this is midnight 2.0 <laughs> it this is episode. Yeah. absolutely but is it midnight 2.0 because it's a bottle episode on a, on a spaceship or is it a is it midnight 2.0 because it's inside the head of the protagonists why is it midnight 2.0? I, I got the same sounds, but I'm not entirely sure why. It's midnight 2.0 because the foe is completely implacable. And in midnight, the invisible being is learning how to mimic 
the doctor. Mm. Oh, there's that as well. You're yeah, right. Ends up mimicking him perfectly and then speaking ahead of him. So there's the whole developmental sequence of, okay, I become you and then I exceed you and now I can get out from here and take over God, God knows what. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about the, the mimicking aspect. It's also similar in the sense that that foe is somehow tied to the this beautiful and inexplicable exterior waiting outside the bounds of the spaceship. You can look at it, but you couldn't possibly survive there. You wouldn't be able to do anything out there. Yeah. But something has survived out there. Like, like how, Planet Midnight, yeah. Exactly. So how has it survived there? How sinister or strong must it be in order to still persist? Yeah. You know the only thing I could criticize about the otherwise excellent episode Midnight? Oh, yeah. Not enough Donna Noble. And here, ah! RTD has righted that wrong. <laughs> RTD, RTD has listened to his favorite podcaster and he's recreated that episode with Donna just for you, Drew. My favorite the number home. one Drew fanboy, Rusty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, hang on, can we stay on the phone? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Mark. No, no, no. What I was, no. All right, yeah. Let's stay on the phones. Do I was going to say, if we stay on the, if we stay on the phones a little longer, how do you feel about them? And as I recall, we gave Midnight a fairly high rating. It's a solid episode, mm-hmm. right? I, I think it's universally praised as a really solid Doctor Who episode. How do these foes compare to that foe? How, if we're going to make that comparison, how do you feel about them in general? Why do they have fangs? Do you like them? What? What? No, I do opinions? not like them. Okay, I think why? Midnight was so good because it was so creepy because it was like, there was no foe. You couldn't see it. It was just a person like speaking at you and you, yeah, you couldn't understand it. You could, uh, it was, I thought that was such a brilliant idea and such a well-executed episode. And then this one, it does have the same kind of idea, but it's everything's taken to extremes. Everything's made comical, like the hu- like the giant arms or the massive, like they're filling the space like Alice in Wonderland. I don't think they felt threatening. Like I wasn't sure at what point, like how how are they threatening the Doctor and Donna? Yeah. I know that they're mimicking them, but there was no sense of what would happen once they got there. I, I, I totally agree, and I think... Oh, sorry, I just cut you off there. No, there, there was an idea posed of, oh, they're going to get into the TARDIS and then they're going to go and they're going to, I don't know, absorb... Uh, and do what, exactly? ...energy like, I, from the universe. I don't know. But yeah, it didn't feel like a real threat. Are they going to imitate the universe? I think the reason yeah. they don't feel threatening is that we don't learn about the crew. Because if yeah. we find out what they did to the crew, uh-huh. what was so bad that the captain felt it pertinent to sacrifice exactly. herself in order to keep them away from our world... That would then make them scary. It would lend them some sort of credence or lend their threat some sort of credence. And because we don't know about it, they're just they're just mimics. That's all they do. Mm-hmm. They have fangs, but they are entirely, they seem almost powerless. You close yeah. a door in front of them, they can't break through it. Uh, they have fangs. They never bite anyone. They grow in size. They never clobber anyone. Like, what's the point? Like, when you see, the most threatening thing, yeah. I think, is at the end when he's, like, running on all fours. Like, he's racing the real Doctor and the fake Donna, Doctor are racing. And the real Doctor's catching him slightly, which I found odd because I was like, well, aren't they the same body Slip at stream. this point? Shouldn't they run at the same? Uh, all right, maybe Slipstream. <laughs> and then suddenly he, like, remembers that he can transform and he, like, starts running on all fours. Yeah, I can gallop like a really tiger. Scary. Why don't I? 
yeah, for a second it was really scary, and then you saw him front on, and it suddenly looked ridiculous again. Like they just went overboard with the like, well, like cartoonification. Remember when they were absolutely enormous, chasing after your favorite mini golf cart? Like, yeah, w- w- when they're enormous. and then like smacking it with a bat, but like the most lackluster. Oh, get off! Like you're swatting a fly. It doesn't. Mm, it never yeah. felt like there was a sense of urgency there. Agreed. That needed to be way more violent. God yeah, oh, 100%. you're talking me down, Marie. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, sorry. It's, it's good. It's very good. Yeah, we're learning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're growing. <laughs> like the phone. Can I? On the topic of this, I think I've I think I've pinpointed what is maybe my biggest beef with it, and I think Ooh. maybe I'll carry on. Maybe there'll be bigger beefs later, but one of them at least is it didn't feel ever like I was seeing anything new. It feels like mm. there are so many elements in this that borrow from other previous Doctor Who episodes. Like Midnight, like we've had the rebel flesh before that mimic the yeah. look of a person. Yeah, the, um, the teeth. The doppelgangers, double doctors. The, yeah, yeah, the teeth the are very flesh. reminiscent. They even, did the, uh, they even did the jaw opening up. You're right. Yeah, totally. The teeth, the spiky teeth are very reminiscent of the vampires of Venice. It's in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> Those fangs. Those fangs can yeah. suck it. <laughs> 100%. What else have I got? Like, <laughs> can they? I mean, they literally what, can. Ineffectually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they also look like they're brought from a joke shop. They're joke shop ugly teeth. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're absolute bullshit teeth. These creatures, I'm sorry to rant about the teeth all of a sudden. I'm sorry for the interruption. But like, These creatures don't know what teeth are. Like, They have no conception of anything. They're like, oh, my arms are too long. I don't understand size. If I take off my tie, why does it disappear? Like, They they don't understand any of this. So why would they manifest fangs that don't do anything? It's bullshit. I hate fangs. Totally agree. (laughs) Possibly my biggest beef, which is a little bit more of a serious note, but it bothered me the first time and I looked it over and it bothered me the second time as well. It's just this idea of the captain has... It's a female captain, for starters, and she has sacrificed herself to save the universe. And then the doc plows in and is like oh yeah no because i need to do and messes up her plan and i was like i've seen this before i know i've seen this before and i looked it up and it was the waters of mars and there was a captain female captain who like was basically going to sacrifice herself to save her crew and then it was and i had to remind myself i had to like look up the plot to remind myself because i'd forgotten all the nuances of it but it was basically her death then like triggered a series of events that led to like her granddaughter going off and exploring space and like leading to really great things in the future. And Doc comes in and saves the day. And she at the end of the day is, No, you took away I my death meant something and she ends up killing herself to, so that history can carry on as it was intended to, or the future can go as it was intended to, and he doesn't get to change a fixed point in time. And I was like, it just it seems so like on the nose that it's again another woman captain that has done an incredible thing and sacrificed herself to save the universe and he comes in and just fucks it all up if he if they weren't there if he had never landed (laughs) her plan would have worked and these creatures would be gone but he comes in and messes it all up and he he fixes it in this episode and so he saves the day from these creatures but he opens a doorway which jim reminded me of like the salt thing that he does is actually referenced in the next episode and that's the thing that brings the toy maker back so it's his actions in this episode do fuck up the future trajectory and change things so yeah, just... he couldn't have foreseen that though you can't hold that against no, him no that's true um, yeah no I'm i know that, that he doesn't know that he's doing that but it's just 
as a writer, I feel like it's really on the nose. That it's always, why is it always a woman? Like she's doing something in, noble, and he's I, just I going in and undermining it. I didn't read as much into it as you did, Marie, but I did write like, how does he know the captain was a woman? How does he know that? He looks at a, a cranium sticking out of a uniform. Yeah, uh, this race speaking a language outside of the fifty-seven billion that he already knows. Oh. Uh, Oh, okay, that's oh, another I, point. No, I have opinions about this. Okay, I. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, Marie, you are my friend who agrees with me. I, I, can I take us to a question about this? I think we're going there regardless. And solely, Marie, I'm very sorry, but solely because of the Zencaster lag, I'm going to direct this question or the first part of this question at you, Drew. Okay. Okay. Um, can you please repeat after me? Oh, okay. Ye. Ye. Er. Er. San. San. Si. Si. Wu. Wu. Ye. Ye. Ki. Ki. Ba. Ba. Ju. Ju. Shi. Shi. Now, can you tell me in Mandarin Chinese, please, how do you feel about Doc's linguistic skills? I feel like I could identify <laughs> the gender of any Chinese person who stood in front of me. But, but also, that's English. <laughs> In this episode, he only needs to learn one through ten in order to understand the language. Yeah. And and he speaks billions of languages. And even though he speaks billions of languages, he doesn't understand one through ten. The thing that started him off on this one, if it's in slow motion. And and also a one through ten just happily on the screen as it boots up. Is that part of the OS? You have a primer. Maybe the alphabet's there as well, just in case you've forgotten it, because... <laughs> I, I'm just going to look at the desktop. It's somewhere on the, this desktop. We're looking at the des a desktop right now. Not yep. a desktop. We're looking at a screen right now. Can we find 1 through 10 on this? Oh yeah, there it is. Boom, 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 boom. Nothing makes sense. Oh, and guess what? But... Not every number system is base 10. <laughs> yes, exactly. In fact, <laughs> fucking... It, like, in this country, people can still don't measure things in tens necessarily like yeah. every, everything is dumb when it comes to linguistics there's and a logic grain of truth in there <laughs> <laughs> sorry nice. for putting my foot in it very nice very nice oh <laughs> pull your thumb out uh, <laughs> anyway i uh, think by any yardstick this episode comes up short these are horses we should measure this in hands anyway so <laughs> is the fact that the doctor now i'm gonna assume suddenly speaks billions of languages. I'm going to assume he hasn't always, or they haven't always spoken billions of languages. Does that mean we'd no longer need the TARDIS translation matrix? And does that kind of tally with what Jim was saying in our review of the Star Beast of, oh, wait, hang on, the TARDIS is nowhere to be found, yet everyone can understand each other? I think links into what my beef was with this language translation thing is that it just doesn't fit with how it's been used before like where wherever we heard in the past that just that doc just knows every language like i always thought that he was also benefiting from the tardis translation matrix and the second thing is i'm sure it's been established that even when you're nowhere near the tardis it's like this is not the first time that the tardis has gone off a wandering and the companions can always understand and everything is always in English. And it's been established, I thought, that once you've travelled in the TARDIS, that translation matrix stays in your head and you can understand anyone wherever you are. You don't have to be physically next to the TARDIS. So they've just completely erased that because even if they're now saying the TARDIS, it doesn't work on the Doctor, it should work on Donna. She should understand this countdown. I'm not sure she should. We don't hear the countdown going 
five, four. Like but it's, you it's, would if, like if you had the translation matrix there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you don't, yeah. and I think that's because the TARDIS is away, and I don't, I, I know what you're saying, Marie, but I have a feeling that in the Whittaker era, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in the Whittaker era, didn't she basically implant some sort of translation, like a babble fish in, yeah, in the, the fam? Yeah, and, did, yeah. and that was, so like, it, it, this is the translation matrix when the TARDIS isn't around. Boom. Babble fish. Yeah, and they could even have played with that in this episode. The doctor's like, okay, this is what I do with companions now. And Donna's like, don't you try that with me, funny boy. (laughs) (laughs) Having her right here in this room. (laughs) But, But why not just have the robot take a step and everything flip periodically and not have it come over the tannoy om or whatever the word equivalent is yeah. that's another clue that aliens the no things could pick up on that but the doctor doesn't need to the doctor can infer hey these things are happening in sync it's showing me not telling me and i can figure it out yes exactly but also when did this countdown what number did they start on because in the 40 minute episode we count down five numbers and it started three years ago did it start at minus a billion or something (laughs) (laughs) it's such a long countdown but then that makes the captain seem stupid because oh it has to be so much more because that captain is a fucking skeleton (laughs) <laughs> what happened to the flesh? I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. Like, what happened to the flesh? She's in space. She's not she in space. She should be preserved forever. She's in a void. This should preserve her better if than I, space. If there I are I no put, bacteria out there. I have things in my freezer right now that have been in there since I moved into this house, and they are fucking perfectly preserved. I'm never going to eat should, them, but they are You should probably get rid of those preserved. things. Oh, yeah. No, I'm absolutely, I absolutely will. But you know what they haven't turned into? Skeletons. Okay. <laughs> they haven't turned into skeletons. And that, oh, no, it makes no sense. Oh, I, I, yeah. spoiler alert. I started, I've written down a really high rating in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh, no. plummeting. Oh, There's no solar radiation that you could possibly say, oh, yeah, obviously that ate through the soft matter of yeah. the body because <laughs> there's no starlight. No, nothing. None of it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So yeah, <laughs> yes, stupid captain, set your countdown to a billion or a hundred and fifty thousand or whatever it takes, rather than I don't know six. <laughs> don't give yeah. them time to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> because the implication I think is that they've just been lifeless floating auras up until this point they only become tangible when the doc and donna are there so there's no re- you don't need to have a lot a really long ass countdown it can just be like countdown from 10 and it's, then it's, it's just that over. they don't understand what, what actually hang on why do they not understand slowness because the doc says you don't understand anything that moves slowly that's why the countdown is really slow what is their concept of time even if they're outside there's, of creation if there's no if there's no light Ask fucking Einstein, man. If there's no light, there's no <laughs> yeah. time. What, what, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and there was the point they said, I think the doc says, you got to the point where you almost perfectly copied the captain. And then when she like evacuated herself, you lost all that knowledge. She only needed to get outside of the 
spaceship long enough for them to forget her form and then blow it up from the outside. No, I think she had to die because I, I don't think they need oh, to really? stay on this yeah. spaceship. I, it's a solid theory, but I, I think that they, do, they don't no, need oxygen. Right. They don't need gravity yeah. or mavity. We should talk about mavity. Oh, they, they don't need mavity. any of that stuff. They just, because they are in a void, none yeah. of this stuff means anything to them, but it's completely new. I, I like that actually. Like it's all new to them. Light, time, everything is new to them. And therefore they want to have it. They want all of it. Like children, they just want to consume all of it. Okay, but, but that the should point also stands... mean that fast and slow are equally alien to them. Yeah, it shouldn't matter but that like, the robot is slow. As soon as she's then killed herself, then they have nothing to mimic, and therefore they can't mimic their robot. Surely, would they be? Would they no. have any consciousness to try and work out what was going on after the last living person had gone? Probably not. So why was Probably it not. on a three-year-long countdown? I oh yeah, three years. You're right. I don't know. They needed to take out the line, didn't they? About you forgot everything. The captain ever yeah. thought, yeah. ever knew. They needed to remember that. They couldn't access it and analyze it live and responsively like an AI ingesting content but they should still be able to access the library that they had so yeah that yeah if they just took that line out that would have cleared up that misunderstanding to an extent did you set that up as a segue by the way maybe because the question that i added to my pre my introductory questions inspired uh, by marie inspired by marie is directed directly at you in fact marie from before we not before we press record before we started this episode hey marie did you say you thought the foes were ai oh no (laughs) that was oh okay ignore me that was a comment about your glasses (laughs) wait what my glasses are ai because you because you said I only wear my glasses about computer screens but lately I have to wear them in front of people and I was like oh maybe all the people are like maybe all the people are computers now everyone's oh I see uh, that was a no it, what I meant was I'm gradually becoming <laughs> less self-conscious about wearing them in public ah uh, sure that <laughs> makes okay okay sense. yeah ignore that introductory <laughs> question what well, my take on it was that they were AI avatars and maybe that's really? just because maybe this, that's just because it's everywhere in the news all the time at the moment but it seemed very topical to me that here is something that takes all your thoughts all your information just scrapes it out of you and mimics you becomes you takes all your capabilities and then you're out of a job slash life slash universe it's an interesting reading. I don't think that they were AI because an AI is artif- the A is artificial. They haven't been created yeah, by something. It's an so there's analogy. Some... It's it's a simulacrum, whatever. Okay. I I okay. So you're saying they're not AI, they are they're, it's a parable about AI. You know why else I thought this? Is and this probably predates the phenomenon that was widely publicized last year. Because it was filmed, I think, in 2022. But do you remember when AI had trouble with the hands? Still does. Still does. Yeah, still does. And these avatars themselves, the arms are too long, the hands are too big. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a stupid point. I like that a lot. And then they. You know what? And I really like this AI reading because it answers a problem that we addressed earlier of we don't know why we're afraid of them. Like, they're mimicking us and that's inherently terrifying, but they actually, there is no threat there. And I feel like that's the same with AI. Everyone's, oh no, it's going to do this and it's all a bit at the minute it's not doing any of that it's not really a threat but there's a potential for it to be (laughs) yeah i feel like we're three or four clicks away from skynet personally i just today i saw that and this is going to seem like a long tangent but i'm going to come back kiss 
had the band yeah staged okay. their farewell concert do you know who month. do you know who went to the very last kiss gig i do not flapjack peter zunich peter zunich <laughs> hey peter how you doing peter <laughs> hey peter <laughs> Oh. The Zoommeister himself. Then the Zoommeister would be able to tell you if you kept your appointment for your monthly catch-up instead of podcasting with us. Fuck, I'm so sorry, Peter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that, at the end of this comp, they launched into God Gave Rock and Roll to You or something, and they handed over to digital avatars yeah. like mm. the ABBA version that's been in London for some time. Yeah, he told me about this last month. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I do keep some appointments, okay? Yeah. Peter can vouch for me. <laughs> So I watched a promo video for it today and it's two minutes of sort of glum 3D renderings swooshing around their heads and Gene Simmons saying, this is the dawn of the new Kiss era. We've been immortalized and now we can live forever. And it is terrifying in the sense that all the people who have the capital now can just extend that indefinitely. And anyone coming along later has to outdo the entirety of what humanity has done to this point against the enormous gradients of the establishment and who has the money to promote what. And you say uh, all this, but actually I feel like Kiss has just... Did you watch the new Star Wars films where Carrie Fisher shows up? Mm -hmm. Young Carrie Fisher shows up in CGI. Oh, yeah. the new uh, Indiana Jones as well. New yeah. Indiana Jones, ex excellent example. That's exactly what Kiss has done now. It's just they've signed the, the contract that goes, oh, we think this is legitimate. Yeah. I also watched the BoJack Horseman series where he predicted the Hollywood writer's strike or actor's strike by five years he was like oh yeah. yes i've signed away all my visual rights i wonder who kept david tennant's 3d visual rights when he was in the 3d motion capture box by the way is that oh. disney bad wolf or him are we gonna have 14th doctor episodes for millennia it's possible mm. yeah 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 so i thought that this was an appalling uncanny valley near mirror image of where we may be headed and so i thought this is terrifying like all the best sci-fi showing you your dystopian futures i do, anyway, I, can do I, ask I like that reading though i don't think it was intentional but if it had have been i would have preferred it yeah it's fabulous i still think the thing that's missing from it is like the end threat like if it was an AI, would their end goal to be, I'm going to become you and I'm going to go back to in the TARDIS as you and I'm going to live your life on Earth or in the universe, wherever you live. Whereas it doesn't, we still don't know what the end threat is. Yeah, and it doesn't really yeah. make a heap of sense. I suppose if they were 100% finished scraping the Doctor, then even if he died, they'd remember it, or they'd remember everything they'd learnt and be able to fly the TARDIS, which is crucial to mm. taking over the universe. So, yeah. yeah, going back to that line, take it out, for goodness sake, mm. it is a little muddled. It does, yeah. In my original mini-review, I was like, this script is tight as a drum, and actually, no, it's full of holes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. Yeah, and to yeah. come back to something I said last week, like, RTD, he's been busy in the interim, sure, but he has had over a decade to hone these <laughs> scripts if he really wants to come back. <laughs> But has he wanted to come oh, back for over a decade or has he just been given the reins? Or like, did Chibbers basically take over and all of a sudden, like, the red bat phone on RTD's desk starts blinking <laughs> and he just goes, oh, fuck, hang on, here's my chance. There's, a, there's an RTD-shaped bat light in the... Come, yeah. come rescue us. 
I think that's yeah. I think that's the only thing that I that does make me want to be a bit more lenient on this is that I know like how last minute it was and like to get him on board and to oh, write right. and so yeah maybe you need to be a little bit more lenient than usual mm. but, but maybe that yeah. is why he's cobbling together patchwork quilts of all of his sorry for mixing my metaphors all of his previous scripts Waters of Mars, bit of Midnight here, mm. yeah, yeah, bit of Journey's End there, and other films he's in enjoyed watching himself. Yeah, not Venom yeah. apparently. Alien had a problem with Venom. Event Horizon. Yeah, I love that comment actually, <laughs> <laughs> and that was also good because that explained why Donna Noble would have a grasp of that concept because she and Sean have talked about. It. Yeah, I really like that bit. I can't remember which episode. Wait, what was that? It was that we reviewed where this came up? It was when they were talking about oh, it got older because their mass oh, increased. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was a nice touch. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it fleshed out Sean a little bit because he just bless so him, never seems to get any <laughs> <laughs> he never seems to have any personality. He's just a bit of a wet blanket. But I feel like yeah. I got to know him a little bit better. The the Venom analogy came up in a previous Who Back When review. What was that? What? Marie's theory is bearing fruit. I wonder if this was New Who or Classic Who. We've absolutely made the reference to it's someone having an internal monologue, very not internal monologue, like they're they're having a separate intelligence occupy their body and you can hear the voice. I don't know if it's Classic or New. Oh, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, uh, I'm totally lost. What theory of mine was bearing fruit? Oh, that RTD listens to Who Back When. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's true. I'm convinced. I'm going to write to him next week. Yeah. I think it's significant that Donna Noble's aunt is called Iris, which means that RTD wants us to see that he's (laughs) dropping little clues. Mm, So what I don't know, it must be that he listens to us. God. Shall we move on to something slightly humorous and superficial? Is it the beginning? We can't talk about the beginning. I was going to point out something very specific about the beginning that still remains with us today. Oh, in subsequent episodes. Yes! Mavity! Mavity! I'm saying this because Marie had a reaction to this term. (laughs) Marie, I want to know all about how you feel about Mavity and the Mavitational pull. What I feel about Mavity is it's changing the doctor doctor who law how we treat time travel usually is anything that's important stays anything that we us the viewers know as a historical event whatever happens you go back in time you're like oh no i'm about to do something drastic that changes events and actually what you end up doing is making sure that those events take place and so it's always the <laughs> yeah. same and it ends up being like oh if you hadn't have gone back maybe we would have had a different time but the tardis took you to the right place at the right time and you were there to make to save history and then now it's just changed it for no reason and i really want to know <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I really want to know is like the etymology of the word gravity. Like, because we have, it's not just a, a made up word, like we have gravitas and like it's etymologically, yeah, it came yeah. from somewhere. It, it like, comes from the Latin gravis, meaning heavy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so right. wouldn't he have known yeah. that word? When they said gravity, wouldn't he have been like, oh, yeah, click- you, you mean the Latin word Mavis? Mavis. Meaning heavy or weight. This apple falling like- on my head is a lot like when Mavis fell on my head. <laughs> I, I, it's just such nonsense. If you're going to do something like that, make it silly. actually mean It's silly. Something. It's fun, I think. Oh, no. I think I it's assume unfun. they can't do this I think forever, it's the opposite though. of fun. 
Well, I assume they can't do this forever and that at some point, maybe they've even already filmed this, at some point they're going to revisit Isaac Newton and nudge him into thinking of the term gravity and then from that point on we'll just call it gravity again. Yeah, because it comes up twice later in this episode, doesn't it? Donna mentions... It shows up in the next episodes. Yeah. Yeah, but Donna mentions it and Tennant gives her a look and is like, yeah, okay. And then uses it later on as what? if it's always been gravity. What? He I, says gravity I, later Exactly. On. I was going to say, I made goes, a note of it that as well. Yeah. And then he's also oh, in gravity. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So he has oh. to correct exactly. himself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why does Doc accidentally say gravity fields? Mm. And she goes, what do you mean? That's, but it's, that's, but yeah. again, it might happen that's twice a, even. That's a really weird thing because I feel like we've already established that like when things do change, companions remember it. If they were part of the timeline, so it's not just Doctor and here it's like oh, Donna remembers something yes. and the Doctor remembers something else. That's new. That's a very good point. Every single time anyone says Mavity, they should go, oh, no, fuck yeah. Oof. I forgot. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, we messed up history. It's no longer called gravity. The old shibboleth test. Yes. yes. Oh, we are back. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked that this episode allowed you, as I did in real time, to make a joke along with the actors. Like when they said, "Appreciate the." Oh, please don't appreciate the. Oh, must you appreciate them? And then I said it with them. Gravity of the situation and how we laughed. And Donna said, "Gravity." Um. Here's here's how I reacted when she said that. Yes. Fuck! I already disliked Donna's acting again! Yeah, that's like the worst of the Donna overacting in a while. Yeah. I usually fucking hate her acting style, and this is no exception. However, later on, she redeems herself. Yeah, she's, so she just, she's so Amazon. pleased with herself. It just annoys me so much. She's like, I'm so funny. Oh, oh I made a joke about gravity. Like, <sighs> no, fuck off. Sorry. Oh, just me then. Doesn't... <laughs> Hang on, wait, 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 wait. Doesn't Rose have a moment like this? Doesn't Rose at some point? Oh, really? You're gonna have to not say not which Rose. I was gonna say not Donna's daughter Rose. Rose. Oh, I was thinking Donna's daughter Rose. Rose Tyler at some point. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong companion, but I think it's Rose. At some point, meet Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I can't remember what the wordplay is, but it, it's exactly the kind of, don't you think that? And Doc goes, no, don't you think that? Uh, d- no, don't. And then she does say whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a very easy thing to write, isn't it? Trying to goad a famous person into creating their most famous line on the spot. Mm. I'm going to freaking find this line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I couldn't help but read the scene, though. It was ruined for me slightly by, I went online, I in a Facebook group, and all anyone said about the Doctor Who episode, about this episode, just after it had come out, they didn't talk about the quality of the story or the writing or the acting or anything overwhelmingly and i need to leave this group they were just throwing about isaac newton is now half indian and won't that piss off the bigots oh i bet those gammon are annoyed and it was a really ugly look like that's a mode of enjoyment that i myself do not partake in and it somewhat spoils my view of the fan base and it felt like rtd was perhaps trying to go to some get some publicity by making the reactionaries react and it was like mm. oh really is that why we're doing this yeah <sighs> if, i think it like i've talked to a lot of people about this the bbc do it a lot and it's like kind of the colorblind casting and the more people that i talk to the more it's i don't think this is a good thing actually i think in the beginning i was like yeah this is really cool like we should have more diversity and da, da, da. 
but when you're just throwing it in there for no real reason with no context with no and especially when it's like a a historical figure that you're now changing it is just is it just for a reaction like why else do it i don't really understand the point of it because when bridgerton did it Queen Charlotte, there is real historical yeah. basis for thinking maybe she's mixed race. Exactly. This is the exact uh, but, example that I brought up with Jim just now. We were talking about um, Bridgerton. And I think that's a really cool way of doing it. And it is almost like yeah. Bridgerton's like an alternative universe if this had been acknowledged at the time and she was acknowledged as like the first like black or mixed race queen of England. What might that have done for the rest of the population? And that was addressed. But I think just to throw it in there without addressing it is not doing any favours to anyone and just does give people like reason to complain and that's not nice i had a feeling that isaac newton had some heritage now people have googled this already and the the result is yes isaac newton was a white man of british descent i was gonna say we very quickly googled it earlier just to see if that was the thing and there wasn't anything on a very like superficial quick google search there wasn't anything that suggested that and that would have been a lot of people's natural reactions to go and google it after this episode and to see oh no there's no historical basis the question then is yeah why yeah i I wasn't personally bothered by it no my real problem with this is that doctor who has access to all of earth history that is real exactly fictional history and so the way to counter the bigots is not to do colorblind casting and yep falsely insert people of colour into history where they don't exist, but to find the the richer, more complex, nuanced British history of colour that is there, or to take it outside of Britain and go to other countries and be yeah. like, look, all these other people's and places' histories are yeah, equally uh, valid. I completely agree. Yeah. So Bridgerton gets it, and Doctor Who really doesn't, and that's quite disappointing. No, I, I completely agree. I think we've had this conversation several times on Who Back When, in fact. So RCD, if you're listening to us, why aren't you taking our arguments on board? <laughs> <laughs> this was, I'm sure, also a conversation that we had during during the Girl in the Fireplace review, Girl in the Fireplace episode that was referred to earlier in this review, that they suddenly populated the court, as I recall, they populated the court with like literally every single ethnic group. There were white people and black people and Asian people and there were people like from absolutely everywhere yeah. populating Versailles. It's like, no, and if you if you do this, you're actually also doing a lot of people a disservice because some people watching this show are not going to look at books and they're not going to check on Google even, is this accurate? They're just going to assume, you know what? It was a perfectly egalitarian multicultural society back then. <laughs> and that's what they're going to take away from it. Yeah. And what bothers Although, me I think... as well is... Oh, sorry. Where you go? Uh, I do think there's an argument for showing a black aristocracy because they did exist. But I guess it's... Yeah, not... but... They were mi- like mi- still minorities. So I don't remember... Yeah, but there's exactly a difference between doing place, that but... and turning yeah. characters who were not either permitted to be in a particular social position because of their ethnicity because of bigotry of the bigotry of the times to Mm -hmm. portray them as belonging to those minorities in a way that suggests that yeah they were always allowed to it was there was never a problem racism never existed yeah that's wrong yeah 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 and the greater service the program could do is if you did just a little bit more research then you could take the doctor to all the other continents literally Mm -hmm. any continent outside of europe 
and then we'd all learn something and we'd look it up online and it would broadly be true rather than now I've just misled you. I don't want to land on the side of bigots when the bigots are saying this is false because it is false. And I have, to, if I have to pick a side, I have to be like, yeah, I prize historical accuracy to some degree. Like, it makes me yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. As I said before, I, I wasn't particularly bothered by the casting of Isaac Newton. My only note about Isaac Newton is, wow, Isaac Newton was hot air. <laughs> Wait. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But should I have a pin that I want to unpick after this. It might be the same pin. I don't know. But it should follow on to Isaac Newton is hot AF. Immediately follows on to the doctor being like, oh, yeah, Isaac Newton is hot AF. Wait, hang on. Does that mean he literally is? Oh, is that who I am now? That was the line. We had to go back and read it and put the subtitles on because he mumbled oh, it so that. much. Yeah, he literally mumbles it because we went back to listen to it again and still couldn't understand it. And I put the subtitles on and he said he like, acknowledged tenants doc, like the doctor acknowledged oh yeah isaac newton's really hot and then went to himself like oh is that who i am now is, is this like a is is he like a bisexual doctor are we getting like a, a little well, bit fucking let him be yeah yeah, no, no, but that's really that cool. people are hot. yeah. It, that's awesome and I by like the way him. fucking newton was hot af uh yeah he was also <laughs> six foot five by the way yeah, yeah. Giant. like a goddamn mountain mm. all right not, okay here we not go not as Hang tall on. as my dad Pin. i want you to know <laughs> <laughs> also, Tennant might as well have said, oh, is that who I'm written by again? <laughs> <laughs> the pin from aeons ago. I have been, during this conversation, I've been Googling this, and I found it in the episode Tooth and Claw. Hey! Tennant and Rose. Okay. Rose encounters Queen Victoria and has a conversation that is uh, incredibly <gasps> reminiscent of this one. Exactly. It is yes. the We Are Not Amused conversation. It is so that. similar. The delivery is yeah. almost identical. The, like, don't do it, don't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I just I think Rose is more likable than Donna. So I don't think <laughs> I mean, bothered yeah, me so much. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Is, would it be ungallant of me to say that when the giants are chasing them down the corridor and Catherine Tate's teeth are warped to three times their usual size, reminded me a little bit of Billy Piper? <gasps> so moving on to the next bullet points. <laughs> moving on. Just visually struck me. Oh, sorry. Where are we taking this to? I have two points to make about the alien Donna. Oh, here we go. The not Donna. Nonna. The Donna. The second Donna. <laughs> Donna number <Nonna>. two. Granny? <laughs> uh, firstly, I think, maybe the first time I watched it, I didn't really know what was going on. But this time I watched it, definitely, I was like scribbling notes in my notebook about how annoying this episode was. And then I heard, <laughs> rather than saw the Donna, the second Donna, say something. I can't remember what her introductory line was. But immediately I was like, that's not Donna. I'm not even really paying attention Ooh. to this. And I can tell that's not Donna. And like how she delivered her lines was very like dry, very cold, no emotion. And it felt as soon as you tuned into it, I was like, this is so obvious that this is not Donna right now. And the doctor was like, blah, 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 blah. So busy doing other stuff that he just could not give a shit. He was so self-involved. He had no idea what was going on. Bajillion percent agree with you. However, question, not however, but I have a question for you. Did you feel the same way when tenants arrived in the room beforehand? No. no. Because I watched this with Kat and, and we also had the exact same reaction, not when he showed up in the room, but the second we got Donna showing up in the adjacent room. Yeah. And I think, well, at least for myself, it was more... Uh, a case of yeah but we just saw doc enter a room so if donna enters a room clearly they're both fake 
Like there's yeah. zero tension in the scene now. <laughs> yeah. You're not counting on me being an idiot. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought that they were just artistically cutting, time jumping between slightly discordant scenes. That's not you being an idiot. That's you giving the maybe the, the editing more cr- credit than it deserves. Yeah. I, I only twigged. <laughs> this isn't a Tarantino movie where you time jump. <laughs> I, I only twigged what was going on two seconds before the doctor came out with my arms are too long. Really? <laughs> how long it took me the first time I saw this episode. And that, you know what? RTD mission accomplished. Don't you worry about yeah. a thing. And they've both said <laughs> as if not listening to each other, but not really. And I just thought it was a comment on doctors listening skills. But I Actually, thought, I think it was a parable about AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now if we truly listen, we can retain the emotional connection that allows us to outstrip the synthetic reduction ist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep going keep going I can't, I can't I've got no more words if only AI could write this for me <laughs> yeah I, so I completely missed the fact that they both said we're cold oh it got colder mm, and yeah. yeah no it was actually really obvious in retrospect which is also something I feel is recycled from prior Doctor Who. It's certainly something that we've seen in sci-fi across the board in lots of different cases. Oh, all of a sudden you can see the breath of someone. Oh, that means there's Something's a baddie in the changed. room. Yeah. There's a ghost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it's usually a paranormal thing, but it's a trope that is... It's a trope. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like he should have, if he was paying any attention to her whatsoever, he would have been like, oh, hey, something's wrong because you're not acting like yourself. That's the first thing. Secondly, jumping to the end now, when there are the two Donners in front of him and he asks them the question about like, why is Mrs. Bean funny? And he, he chooses one Donner over the other and he ends up picking the wrong one. Yeah. I do feel like that is also super duper out of character for the Doctor. Like, regardless of what his intentions were whether he knew he was always going to grab one and scan them in the TARDIS and then he would have time to go back and save them if they got the wrong one she's literally stood there there thinking she's going to die she's seeing a firebomb coming towards her down the corridor she's saying her prayers and saying her goodbyes and she thinks her life is over and he's abandoned her could he not have just taken them both into the TARDIS I just feel like it's so cold and so callous for the doctor to be like Nah, there's no way the relationship they've they've built up between the Doctor and Donna, he would not have risked losing the real Donna, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, And also, they do not know that, luckily for real Donna, the self-destruct sequence starts way down at the end of the ship and then just blasts its way up towards her. Like she doesn't they don't know that it doesn't explode everything all at once and she's got no chance. Also, missed opportunity. Two missed opportunities. One, missed opportunity to kill off Donna once and for all. (laughs) (laughs) Second missed opportunity. Wouldn't it have been so much more interesting if he had continued his journey with the wrong Donna? And then, however far into the future however many episodes into the future maybe it is only one maybe it is only the next episode because then we get duty but at some future point he realizes this uh, there's that internal subterfuge within the tardis he also has the moral dilemma of yeah but this donna even though she's a facsimile is now maybe even very close to 100 percent donna so isn't she the same oh and mm, complex but some something will develop yada ba 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 bam towards act 3 he will still jettison her and realize <laughs> that the fire has not reached the point of the corridor where Donna is yet not he'll then, he'll then mm-hmm. go back in the TARDIS pick her up rescue her so for her she has lost no time she hasn't suffered a whole episode yeah. but the actor so, uh, has still yeah. gotten to act for a whole episode 
and the character still gets to be reunited with her actual family. And who recognizes her as not Donna initially? Who's that? Sean! Bingo! Yes, exactly. Wouldn't that have been, frankly, so much more interesting? Marie, did you cry out Sean? Because, yeah, we could give Sean something to do. No, Wilf is more... No, Wilf. (laughs) It should have been... You're right, it should have been Wilf. It's because I read a note earlier that I wanted to say about Sean, and I feel sorry for Sean because we never get to see anything of him. Um, And then I wrote down one of the few moments I did really like in this show was a little bit of foreshadowing where Donna says... She's talking about Sean and then she goes oh I hope you get to know him um and then having seen the next episode we know that the doctor does spend a whole bunch of time with the family so he does eventually get to know Sean a little bit more and maybe he's got some good qualities that we haven't seen yet so it would have been cool yeah anyway someone yeah. But, Sean but you or mentioning that you yeah. mentioning that brings me back to the your question of what's the threat of this episode and it's the not doctor sitting down saying he's lovely Wilf such a nice man I'd love to see him again <laughs> you're gonna do to wilf you hideous nothing beast just almost replace him isn't that kind of the that's the threat that's posed to donna in this episode that there will be a perfect eventually there will be a perfect replica of donna out there maybe Mm. with different morality different ethics different value system but it is it's an entity that is gradually getting closer and closer to 100 percent donna that's the threat. Like the Zygons. Yes, exactly like the Zygons. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. like the Zygons. Wow, okay. Which would have been really cool in the, yeah, in the TARDIS if, if she'd have just... But she doesn't. The fake Donna immediately gets her teeth out and is, like, threatening again. <laughs> doesn't seem yeah, to want to play along. She stops even pretending to... Yeah. She's like, like, oh, I say, like, she, she smirks at everything. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like the look of this. I'm going to enjoy killing everybody and not hiding it. What would happen if he travelled... If he went into the next episode with fake Donna, with Mm. mimic Donna, uh, she would be perhaps even 100% Donna at that point. But she would be stagnant and Donna, the human being, would continue to develop just like all of us continue to develop with new experiences. And when faced with new experiences, in the case of the next episode, when faced with a toy maker, she would or it would not react the way that Mm. Donna would react. It would not develop and grow the way that Donna would develop and grow. And therefore, it would reveal itself as a facsimile mm. and that's what would ultimately maybe it goes that's fuck so it good. now i want to mimic the toy maker i don't want to mimic this feeble human i want to mimic an eternal like the toy maker exactly yeah. and then that's when doc goes oh fuck now i basically have two toy makers to contend with jettison get real <laughs> don yada, yada, yada. Okay. But, but then the question is if they do 100 mimic the doctor and donna then why doesn't their morality the doctor and donna's morality override all this previous stuff that they had mm. been building towards and they're like oh i've had a realization excellent question i don't think that they are mimicking the oh you're right i'm they're... not evil anymore well, well they're entirely you basically not mimicking the value system they're mimicking just the exterior aren't they they're they're mimicking memories and and the exterior memories are famously interior but memories (laughs) they're mimicking memories in the sense that they in that they inform the exterior expression they say things Uh based on memories in that they read memories to know how to act externally like an AI like this is why when she has the year of the gas leak moment with Tennant she looks inward and she has a very interior moment that is clearly based on all the internal impressions that she has stolen from real Donna or possibly real Doc but actually when she then turns into gloop on the floor she's still just evil and horrible because it's all just superficial we want this universe and you've owned it 
Yeah, because grabbing all those memories are just there to substantiate the facsimile, the facade, not to change their internal ethics. Yeah, that's this is so... why I think, actually, fuck it, you know what, I've convinced myself, uh, this is a great retro rewrite. I think it would be fantastic if she perfectly mimicked Donna, 117% mimicked Donna, 200%. and then met <laughs> the toy maker and went, fuck it, this is the person I want to mimic. And grew in that direction. I think that would be much more interesting. I've uh, sorry, I've been trying to say this for ages, but everything you're saying just builds and builds on my point, so it's great. The episode that it massively reminded me of was Amy Pond in the like waterfall vicinity with the little robot, and then when the, there was like the two streams thing, and she gets old, and then there's two Amy Ponds, waited. and they have to just... yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, and then decide wait. which one to save. And it's, I feel like that there was so much tension in that and it was such a like grave decision because it's like both of them are Amy Pond and both of them like mm. deserve to be saved. And it was horrible to decide. It was such a, that was such a good episode. And this one, it was just like, oh no, I want the, obviously I want the real one. I don't want the fake one. But imagine if the fake one had really become Donna and had all the feelings and emotions of Donna and was like, you've just said, just completely embodied her, then it would be... Yeah. Like, okay, I'm sending Donna, my friend Donna, to her death, not this evil person that's just got the mask of Donna. And I feel like every other time that the Doctor has seen, encountered this in, in term, like, either the Amy Pond thing or the Rebel Flesh or whatever it is, he's always approached it with a humanity of this is a life form and it's just trying to survive. These life forms are about to be ex self-destructed exploded that like he just is happy to completely obliterate them without even really knowing anything about them at no point does he ask them what they want is there a space i could put you in where you'd be happy he just assumes that they're evil because they're taking over but he didn't do that before yeah but even if they're good what they're doing isn't exactly empathetic yeah also i'm, I'm assuming that they haven't only caused the death of the captain they've caused the death of the entire crew and they don't seem particularly bothered. No, but like so. you say, we never see that. Like, we No, we never see that, but we assume that they were there, right? Do you also not assume that there was a crew whom they just, vum, somehow killed? I don't know, but I just see that as a massive hole in the plot of there should have been... And that's the thing, is there's just no threat. There's no way of knowing what happened yeah. to the crew if they suffered yeah. horrible death. So Maybe when you get to 100%... Yeah, if once you get to 100% copied, then you're absorbed and you like become them and you give them energy. I don't know, there's so many different things you could have done and just leaving it out just, I don't know, doesn't work for me. Yeah, put it in with the bit where they're talking about all the war and hate that travelled across the universe and we learnt what death was and so we rehearsed it we practised it on all the lovely crew and we learnt what it was to go from life to death and back to life again and I had some fluidity there which there's a fair bit of in this episode I had some more and but the captain was off in her cockpit or she was off on a spacewalk or something but she couldn't get away and she had to come back yeah, some more stuff there it wouldn't have taken much this episode mm. was 54 minutes add another three yeah or remove okay yeah. oh okay hang on question if you had to remove three minutes, which three minutes would you remove yeah, to make space for that? Oh, Marie has an instant. <laughs> the ending was so slow. I didn't like, because I remember like all of the kind of action ended and we were like, hey, there's still seven minutes left of this episode. What's going to happen now? And it's just Doctor and Donna in the, co in the TARDIS being like, oh, what happened when I wasn't there? Oh, all sorts. You wouldn't believe it. It just felt a bit too, I don't know. I wasn't sure about that. 
Oh, but that was one of my favorite sections. It started really? with the long shot of Tennant and Tate just holding each other. Yeah, I'm reading from my notes. Amazed Holy at, shit, you've written a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Amazed at how close they'd come to disaster. And it's that sort of emotional rebound that especially in the Flux era, mm. there just wasn't time for. And we were, we're so sick of the wham-bam and no time to breathe, no modulation, no chance to process any of this and that is what rtd is setting up and this is where it starts and this is where he starts making space for it narratively in the character's world and yeah i really appreciated it i thought this deepens our connection to both of them just seeing them still for a minute i can relate that was a lot Mm. and my next note and this is to come back to something we were talking about five minutes earlier i didn't like that first of all that tenant got it wrong that he didn't know donna but okay maybe he gets it wrong because it's such a good copy but then i didn't like it that the way he corrects his mistake Mm. is entirely through an observational metric like the extra 0.06 millimeters on the wrist now i'm sure people's wrists don't swell at all as they sprint all over the shop escaping death by a whisker there's no increased blood flow to your extremities or anything like that no i agree with you i, I think that hmm. i wanted it to be based in some sort of emotional connection some which sort is of deeper wisdom yeah which is what you if there were a deeper emotional connection he wouldn't have gotten it wrong Mm. he would have looked into both of their eyes and gone no this is my donna done that's the emotional connection you ask a question one of them gives a slightly more donna slash human answer that's the one you pick zero dilemma or you don't get it and you fast forward to the next episode. <laughs> you I'm love just this saying, retro rewrite. Such a good uh, retro rewrite. Oh, self vibe. <laughs> also, I have the problem with if the doctor can notice you down to 0.06 millimeters, how closely is he looking at you? I wondered this as well. Is it that he notices it or is it that he doubts himself and therefore has the Donna who enters the TARDIS scanned regardless? Would I, he have yeah, her scanned I, even if it were the real Donna? I thought he, this TARDIS noticed it. It wasn't that he'd noticed 0.06. It was the TARDIS had scanned Oh, her, oh what know. a shit TARDIS. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and regardless of who he chose, which even more shows that he wasn't confident in his decision, therefore he should have just taken them both. But yeah, there should have either been an emotional connection and I grab you and I know and it's always you and this is the reason why and then that's where you have the emotional moment of let's take a space and let's connect and then I believe that you have a connection versus just oh I picked one of you at random and I happily left the other one to die but don't worry I came back just in the whisper of time yeah yeah exactly slash I don't know my friends very well (laughs) yeah 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 I I just wanted more cleverness this goes right back to the Bible, essentially, where King Solomon, there are the two women claiming to be the mother of the child. And he's like, okay, well, the solution here is to cut the baby in half and you can have half each. And the mother cries out, no, please. And that's how he figures it out. We've had 3,000 years to refine that slightly. And RTD doesn't even try. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was my biggest beef with the whole thing until we started talking. (laughs) (laughs) no. Speaking of the King James Bible. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Just as a segue, did anyone else or how did people feel about... Okay, first of all, I love this scene, actually. Doc and Donna stood at the edge of the universe looking out onto nothing. And his kind of explanation of humans can't comprehend an edge of the universe. And and then you look at him and he's leaning 
into the window. Like his full body weight is on that window. If the window breaks, he yeah. is gone. He is into the and the music was so tense. It was really I I thought that was such a beautiful scene. And then there's a line and he says, look at us standing on the edge of creation. And it was actually Jim that pointed it out, not me. But like the idea of there being like creation at the edge of a universe. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. And it made, and I noticed it made its way into the V-Scow. And I, yeah, I wondered what your opinions were about that. It, it, that V-Scow was written by Drew. <laughs> yeah. And I had the exact same thought. We have slightly different points of view on this, Drew. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I know that the Bible begins, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that's broadly true. Sure. And Whatever. from my point of view, the, I don't believe in a God and I don't think that we were created by some sort of divine entity. So f- from my point of view, having the doctor talking about creation, it for me, that's a no. Like, I don't want that to be the case. I want the doctor to have a very scientific view of the universe and not even use that language. But Marie, the scene that you're bringing up is something that I looked up today. And the reason I looked this up was it seemed to me that Doc had already been to the edge of the universe. Like surely he's already been here. This isn't, it shouldn't be so odd after 60 years that you go to the edge of the place you live. It's (laughs) mad that it takes him 60 years to get there. And even during Flux, Doc went, she was in a space between universes when she goes to see, what's her name, Tecteune? That's that's between universes. We've been to the end of the universe temporally. There's many times, Mm. and I'm pretty sure geographically we've gone to the edge of the universe. And so... Oh, oh, in The Doctor's Wife, there was a bubble universe outside the Mm. universe. Where House lived or whatever. Ka-ching. There's the... I can't remember what it's called now, but there's... uh, Is it called Warrior's Gate or something? There's a classic Who episode. I want to it's Warriors Gate. I think it's a Davison one with all these lion people. Anyway, that's also on the border between universes. There's a realm in its own. So, like, Doc has absolutely been here before. Like, it's nonsense yeah. that this should be highlighted as a new experience for him. Doc has history and future with the edge of the universe. Yeah, it turns out that RTD is well aware of this. So, kudos, RTD. And shared on, is this Instagram or whatever? I think this is Instagram. Shared a screenshot of the, at the time, latest draft, or maybe this is the first draft, of the of this script in which it was slightly differently phrased. Donna goes, what? Doctor goes, that. The nothing at the edge of creation. Absolutely nothing. Creation still, but okay, fine. Mm. We're so far out, past the condensate reefs, over the realm of the Boltzmann brains, beyond matter and light and life. Have you been this far before? Oh, I've <laughs> straddled multiverses, but only inside magnificent time ships to stand here like this, physically unprotected, right on the edge. Mm. No, never. So that it is slightly different. It is more a point to the whole like, oh, hasn't he done this before? But yeah, it, yeah, fuck it. And RTD, RTD is thinking about all he this. He loves the void. He sent the Daleks into the void, didn't he? The void between universes. Mm. Yeah. Way back. Yeah, absolutely. Shouldn't there just be a yeah. row of Daleks just swooping around past them? <laughs> yeah. And that's why all the no things are quite so evil. We met <laughs> Rose Ooh. et al. in a parallel universe. So if yeah. you're crossing from one universe to another, surely you're crossing some sort of border. <laughs> yeah, there are there are lots of different ways to semantically justify or possibly condemn this. But either way, I feel like it has been done before. But yes, sorry, tangents on tangents. I agree with you, Marie. 
don't like the idea of creation mixing in with sci-fi. Let's go back to the nothing for one second before we come back to creation. Because Please I, really, do. I like the idea of the nothing and it really made me think of the never-ending story and the nothing that's coming in and creeping in and absorbing you. And, it's, and the nothing feels like a threat. I feel like the nothing feels like more of a threat maybe than the monsters in this show. And yeah, the creation, I do think regardless of what our personal opinions about creation is, I think in the Doctor Who universe, he's never... I feel like if there was an idea of a creator, we would have seen it by now. It just, it feels like an odd thing for the Doctor to say. Yeah. The closest we've come is... Maybe you're just about to say this. Sorry. I'm going to say the closest we've come is next week, the toy maker beats God. Literal oh. hubris. Oh, that is not what I was going to say. Uh, I was going to say <laughs> the closest we've uh, come is in the Chibbers era, at the very end of the Chibbers era, meeting time, oh. which uh, I also disliked it massively. <laughs> But just disliked is maybe the wrong word. Disagreed with this. Mm. Um, and yeah. yeah. Shitting hell. Doc has been around forever and has had a sci-fi explanation for literally every single thing. Every time that we meet something that is in any way supernatural mm. or or religious or... Mm-hmm. yeah, Apart like, from it, the Satan pit, but go on. Even the Satan pit, is that's some sort of physical entity that's chained somewhere. It's not, oh, that's the fallen angel who was cast out of heaven by God. Is it not? I thought that was implied. I, uh, famously, I was not sober for that review. But oh, yeah, yeah it, it, either way, yeah, no, I... It, what, sorry, are you saying that there is such a thing as the devil in the Hooniverse and such a thing as God in the Hooniverse? I think RTD was at least playing with that idea in the Satan pit and he definitely references him in the giggle. I, I feel like RTD, sorry to interrupt again, but I feel like RTD is doing exactly with the devil in the Satan pit what Doctor Who for 60 years has done with anything paranormal and that is ascribe a sci-fi explanation for it. Yes, what you call Satan, what you call the devil, what you call yeah. whatever on your planet what you call whatever on your planet which Mm -hmm. is all very similar in nature because we all have this very this this evil entity the manifestation of evil is actually this alien creature in the universe because that's how the universe explains these explains these things oh what you call vampires it's actually these fish creatures in venice anything superstitious or religious or or paranormal is always given a scientific explanation but with the satan pit the way i haven't seen it in so long partly because we were so cruel to you in that review (laughs) and it wasn't the best episode so i didn't go back and watch it again but i thought the sort of implication there was yeah you're not wrong he just doesn't live under the ground like you think he does or not under your ground he lives under this other ground that's what i thought the episode's treatment of it was but i, could I, I mean fair enough very possibly i've also not revisited that episode yeah i have also not revisited that episode but let's all revisit it and then let's have a discussion about god and creation and the devil and in doctor who because that will be interesting can, can i suggest that we do <laughs> that we have that conversation without revisiting it <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, the reason I raised my hand was because I remembered what my previous point was going to be. Oh, in which, yada yada, I'm enjoying the scene, everything's great, blah blah blah. But what I think would have been really nice is because I think after this scene with the Doctor at the edge of the universe looking onto the nothing, 
a couple of scenes later, he mentions the flux and he's, oh yeah, half the universe was destroyed. And I was like, wouldn't that have been a nice point to say it to be, I'm at the edge of the universe and there's nothing. Donna says, there are no stars. You look around you and you go, shit, it's because I half of them died a minute ago oh, that's when a I was very just good idea. doing the flux thing. I've been here before and there were stars but this time around it looks really different. I don't know. Yeah. Blasted, that's a great retro rewrite. Yeah, because why would a wormhole just extend way out beyond the universe into nowhere? Presumably at some point that had been a region of the universe that was wiped clean. Maybe it was a natural wormhole and it just led to the edge, randomly. Maybe. I just want to mention that this episode was directed by a new director to Doctor Who, Tom Kingsley Oh, hey Tom, thanks for listening. He's directed 13 episodes of Ghosts, mostly what I know. Oh my god, we are just literally on the final season of Ghosts and it's the best thing. It's such a good show, if no one's watched it. Yeah, I'm obsessed. I hear incredibly good things. It's so good, yeah. Yeah. Wait, so who is he? He's the director. He's directed about half of Ghosts. Some of this is going to hurt. He also directed Greg Wallace, The Great British Miracle Meat. His wheelhouse is dark comedy with some scares. Yeah. Yeah, he's a perfect fit. And I thought that there were lots of nice little disorienting, creepy-ass directorial touches here. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, 100%. A penultimate point from me, mm-hmm. a penultimate note, observation. I love the idea of using superstition at the end of the universe having broader consequences. However, I don't fully understand it. Like the the, right. the fact that I know that this is picked up in the next episode, and I'm not. I, I've only watched the next episode once when it was live on air, uh, so I haven't had a chance to properly analyze it. But yeah, I'm not sure it's ever properly explained either. But I love the idea that oh, if you do something superstitious you pour some salt and you say that this something that has absolutely no scientific meaning has scientific consequences that is perilous yeah where the laws of physics are up for debate and somehow mutable out here and now we can do fantasy stuff yeah <laughs> I loved it. I literally wrote it down where the walls are thin and all things are possible. I thought that was such a great line. And I think it fits w- with what we've just been speaking to is that there are so many alternate universes or bubble universes or in between universes in the Doctor's world. Like the end of the universe isn't the end of everything. It's just like making a little gap, like bridge into the next one. I think that's really cool. Yeah. What was E-Space in Classic Who, Leon? Was that another universe? Balls. What was that? E space and F space, I want to say. Oh, uh, oh flippers. Oh, flipper. Because oh, what you said, Marie, quoting from the episode, all things are possible. I think absolutely in Doctor Who, all things should be possible with just the merest smear of sci-fi topping. We want to do this, so let's do it. And if it's fun, then great. I wonder if that, the aforementioned Warrior's Gate doesn't take place in E space. All right. I, I'm, I'm looking at, oh, I haven't. I'm on airplane mode. Damn you, airplane mode. I'm trying to Google something here e space short for exospace time continuum or simply exospace all right great pocket-sized parallel universe uh-huh. a separate negative universe existing alongside its positive larger counterpart of n space not f space <laughs> possessed an unusual greenish tint yeah. So they reversed the polarity on the entire universe. I, I guess so, yeah. So okay. Warrior's Gate is not that. Warrior's Gate is between universes. Maybe Warrior's Gate is between E and N space. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how few people held an apple in 1666, but maybe there was a law <laughs> against it or something. <laughs> 
Excellent. The chances of not Isaac Newton saying, who? What? (laughs) (laughs) Overwhelming. Also, um, 1666, oh, stay out of London. Meanwhile, in London, a doctor is there causing the great fire. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I think the acting on, I think I shall hie me to yonder apple tree. (laughs) Particularly (laughs) atrocious. Oh. Uh, he was hot, though. Yeah, fit AF. I only have one one last thing. Anyone else? Anything? Anything? Marie, anything from your notes beyond an eye roll? <laughs> I've got a note from Jim about how much he hated and found distracting the doc's waistcoat and specifically the fact... <laughs> Specifically that it was only one button was fastened and the rest was open, but it was incredibly tight and yeah. <laughs> Jim struggled to concentrate on anything other than Doc's waistcoat in this episode. Yeah. Leon, what was your corresponding note? Oh, my corresponding note is, goodness, that's a tight waistcoat. <laughs> uh, I'm also not a fan I of I didn't notice it once. What I did notice was Catherine Tate running back and back forth. forth yeah, yeah, back and forth. Yeah, it turns out we're aging at the same rate, me and Catherine Tate. Oh. <laughs> I only have a positive left. If you have anything, in particular, if you have anything negative, say it now so we end on something positive. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the nice Thunderbirds reference. I should have... Oh, what Rory's was that? interest. What was that? Yeah, your carriage, milady. Thank you. Oh, Parker. yes. Thank you, Parker. Yes, yes indeed. Parker. Yeah. Oh. Um, my negative is I disliked the TARDIS coming in at the end to save the day just at the last second. Mm. And then the doc uses it like a skateboard, like a hoverboard. Yeah, like Marty McFly in yeah. Back to the Future. He's like yeah. picking it like a hoverboard. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. I kind of like that, actually. I like that. Okay. Goodness, <laughs> if, if the time machine can autonomously pilot itself to the most convenient part of the plot, then the whole Doctor Who series is bugging. Exactly. Isn't, yeah. Hasn't that happened a lot? Though? This explicit. Not, not, and also, isn't that what Hans is? Not on a call. It's, oh, yeah, the TARDIS should appear any moment now. And then there she is. It just yeah, <laughs> seems a little convenient for my liking. Yeah. Why? Also, okay, also the hostile action isn't finished because the not yeah. donut is in the TARDIS. So yeah, you know what? Actually, the, this is utterly bullshit. I've just realised because what the TARDIS should have done is not disappear at all. Because if it hadn't disappeared at all, then the robot would have slowly walked there and undone the hostile action. Mm-hmm. Fuck this episode. Um, <laughs> That's that's negative. Can I end on something positive? (laughs) Please. Segwaying from TARDIS to TARDIS, I (laughs) love the little anecdotes or the hypothesis Mm. that when the TARDIS leaves on its little ads mission, it lands on some little outcrop. There's nothing around it. Civilization slowly but surely grows, rises and falls around it. People worship it, disappears into the sea, and then eventually, millennia or millions of years later, the TARDIS dematerializes and rematerializes at the end of the hat session. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's way more beautiful than the ghost monument. Oh, my beautiful ghost monument, standing on top of a sandy bank once every hundred years. No, it puts it well in the shade. Jody, you had your chance, okay? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) RTD saw that and thought, I can do better. I'm going to drop an apple on that mother. (laughs) Oh, but my last positive is uh, Catherine Tate squelchily flexing her leg with the extra knee. Oh, no. I missed that. It was a squelching. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there was a real kind of sound effect. Sound effects were Awful, awful. Oh, like a Michelle yeah. Thomas CD. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is it two in total or two on each leg? <laughs> uh. 
<laughs> oh, lovely wet mouth sounds. The sounds were so visceral when they were like trying to fit in their bodies. Yeah. <laughs> How about we segue to rating this? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, so welcome to the ratings section of this episode. Marie is going first because she's scared we'll talk her up. That's correct, Drew. Thanks for the intro. I don't, I just don't, I feel like in general, Podcast Land and the rest of the universe think this is a marvelous episode. And my issues with this episode are mostly that I don't think it should exist. It's completely, it's completely redundant. They made a bottle episode. There was only three. Okay, this is a three se- like episode mini series in the middle. It's like a 60th mm-hmm. anniversary special before we go into the next series. In my head, it was going to be like really vital and essential. And it was going to, if we're going to bring back Donna, it's for a reason there's got to be something which the last episode did it was like okay we left this companion in a shitty position she doesn't remember all the beautiful things that happened to her and that's tragic so let's write that wrong and let's give her memory back and i really felt like they were going to carry on the same trajectory and these new characters that they introduced like new rose is really cool and none of that happened and instead we got a bottle episode which I always feel like even when they occur in the normal episodes, it feels like a bit of a, oh, budget's tight. What can we do with like minimal cast and minimal sets? And so it was a bit of a weird one to throw in when you've only got three episodes to tell your story in. So I was already predisposed to hating it. Having said that, the sets were really beautiful. They did a really nice job with, wait, no, some of it. The sets were really nice. Some of the CGI CGI. was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, the CGI was terrible? Yeah, the first (laughs) instance of the the TARDIS like landing and like crash landing in the thing was so over the top and then it like the doors opened and the flames came out and it was all a bit much and it just, uh, yeah, I just was not on board from that moment on, I think. No, that's not true. Even before that moment with the Isaac Newton thing, which was completely redundant and just brought in the Mavity nonsense from nowhere. I'm sorry. But yeah, so lots of Donna, which annoyed me. So I've talked about the things that annoyed me, but basically it boils down to there was no tension and drama. There was no like threat or danger from the monsters. Lots of plot holes, lots of things unexplained. Doc made a massive faux pas in picking the wrong Donna, or in fact choosing a Donna at all, because I do think that the threat of even if you were like 99.9% sure that like 0.01% of I might leave the real Donna behind to die a traumatic death should not be an option. He should have taken her with him. Um, Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry Sorry to interrupt. This is a high-level thing, though. Last week, Donna was like, yeah, I, I'm happy with dying if it'll save Rose, if it'll save London. Surely the thing to do here is have the real Donna being like, leave us both behind. Yes, and that's yes. How he tells oh which the God. real one. Like, of course, that would be so good. It just raises the stakes from last week. Like, this is, yeah, we've, there are so many retro rewrites that we've um, talked about today that would have improved it massively. So... But that said, I know I'm I know I'm predisposed to be negative, so I'm trying not to be and I'm trying to see the positives and there were some really beautiful moments in it. There were some really funny moments. I can't think of them right now, but I'm sure they were there. <laughs> and <laughs> And oh 
Oh, do you know what? I I've got one here that we didn't talk about. When the doctor licks the filament and then pretends to be dead, I quite enjoyed that. That gave me a little chuckle. <laughs> life forms with a bum. Oh, oh, we know there are like life forms with a bum when he gets to sit in the seat. That was great. Yeah, I liked the. There was a lo- little nod to next week in the toy maker. I think the creature said, "We're gonna play your vicious games and win." I thought that was really cool. There's lots of nice little touches. I like the little like the salt being the thing that you do it in a in the spur of the moment he like throws the salt down as any way to stop them and then afterwards he's oh i don't know have i messed up and then it turns out he doesn't mess up spoilers for next week but that will come back so things like that were really nice anyway i'm babbling now but generally wasn't my favorite but wasn't as bad as it could be so i'm gonna give it like a 3.2 okay that three is higher than i expected okay three point oh, really? two from okay. marie yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was a good. It was a nice episode. It wasn't. It wasn't dreadful. Have we managed fun. to talk you up, Marie? Yes, very much. So. Where Where would you have landed at the start of this episode of this? I review? hadn't really thought. I hadn't thought of one, but I just knew I was not looking forward to watching it again. And then I spent. I did write down literal eye roll multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's low twos or high ones, I think. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't ask. <laughs> You're welcome, RTD. Thanks for listening. Oh, excellent, Mini. Who's next? Up to you. I can go, and then you can sure. wrap it up and bring it home. Originally, when writing this rating, I said this episode is the closest thing to a 5.0 I've seen in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> excellent contrast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> changed slightly over the course of the last several hours i will say it absolutely stands up to a rewatch from my perspective in fact i enjoyed it more on the rewatch because the first time because of the complete spoiler blackout which rtd made great hay with i expected something completely game-changing and mind-expanding due the due to the total secrecy surrounding this episode and going outside the universe potentially and it didn't really live up to those expectations when i could enjoy it as midnight 2.0 i loved it parts of it are inherently enjoyable who could naysay a chase by raging doppelganger monsters seriously the writerly flourishes worked a treat the script gave us something to occupy the mind at all times marie i thought there was plenty of tension the tardis is on fire okay there are no scorch marks on the edge of the room and doc and donna aren't even sweating because it's all cgi and nobody thought that one through but first it's on fire now it's broken why is it playing wild blue yonder can the tardis get them home there are rumbling sounds there's something down the corridor is it a person or a thing it's a robot what's it doing now the tardis is gone and it all led on very naturally from the previous thing we weren't taking hairpin bends in less well-constructed Doctor Who episodes. It's like, oh, I see what they're going for now, rather than it just happened. Of course it did. It just happened, because that's what happened. I loved all the bickering between them, the rapport, the bonhomie. It makes so much sense that, again, I'm going to disagree with you, Donna would be brought back so they can both have a happy ending. Of course, Tennant's old face would come back so he could have the happy ending with Donna, because Tennant and Tate just enjoy each other's company and each other's acting and scene work so much it is so fitting and they set it up here much better than i remembered and i appreciate that as i said previously a normal sonic screwdriver i think a normal sonic screwdriver is called a screwdriver oh thank you was that even scripted i don't know it just seems to come out of them whole and 
innately. I don't know. I, I like the direction we said about when you see over the giant warped beast's shoulders, first of all, and then you see a shot of Donna looking up at them before we see them from the front. And we know exactly what we're going to see, but not the details. And I couldn't wait. And again, when Tennant is leaning on the window at the edge of the universe and the music's great, and then it goes silent. And then Donna provides a pithy little summary and you're like, when's the band coming? When's the band coming? There it is! Oh, absolutely loved it. Even though I knew what was coming, it delivered. And I always forget to give the Doctor props. But David Tennant, freed from the requirements of giving new audience members a broad strokes crash course in the Doctor's history while standing against the vast background of space and hawking the new capabilities of this year's sure-to-be-hottest limited edition merchandise. He is given ample time and, yes, space to be the Doctor, the not-Doctor, and an increasingly good copy of the Doctor, and I lapped all of them up. He is as much the Doctor here as he ever was. In fact, because he's not quite so morose... Sure, he has a moment of anger, but it's not the miserable, sad, I really should go, but I can't be bothered, David Tennant that I chafed against for a lot of his original run. Here he is clever, he's reasonable, there's so little friction. At very few points did I wish he were doing anything else. I didn't look at him and think, oh, you're being crippled to make some self-defeating point. And he's kicking at that service corridor with such anguish, it deepens the character to its benefit. And then he goes, good, and he turns around with his game face back on, he does it again later later in the episode and so you get to see that twice and you get to see how he's coping and how brittle it is and the emotional stakes there Catherine tate as donna likewise i could see myself if i returned to a wee lad running away with either of them they are intrepid brave funny insightful and it's <laughs> you asked why does this episode need to exist marie i thought it was such a shame we only get one great special out of three where they could show off the very best of themselves and then, of course, there's Wilf. And my heart soared with everyone else when I saw dear old Cribbins back on the screen. But I will say, all the extras in the background are getting on very cordially for as long as it takes. And then it's like, save us from what? And suddenly there's explosions, fights everywhere. They're all going yep. mad. The whole world's coming yeah. to an end for the last three or four seconds. So, on the whole, it looked great. Music great. Script, good to great. Hard sci-fi behind the scenes. World building, great. It's set up 14's destiny. The Newton thing bothered me because I think it may undermine the show the next time it wants to mine history for a pertinent lesson. But apart from that, smattering of minus 0.1s only, you have argued me down a bit, Marie. But on the whole, I was still titillated and thrilled. In the end, a 4.4. Okay, oh, amazing. I, I wasn't sure if... <laughs> well done. It had been 4.7. Seven. Oh. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A whole zero point three. Wow. Meaning for me too. That's, that's interesting. That is, <laughs> Thanks. That's we, we've been talked down a, a similar amount, I think. You and I. Mm. Wow. Yeah. No. Oh, holy smokes. Okay. I should preface this by saying that I haven't judged this as part of a trilogy, although you raised an absolutely sensational point, Marie. That essentially this third of the anniversary has zero consequence for the totality of it, <laughs> which is. It's slightly deplorable and should diminish its rating. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Finally, Doctor Who does Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) And 14 and Donna are doing the Time Lords work in it. Yikes caramba, I say. Doc in particular. Donna, obviously, holy smokes, there are some absolutely hideous moments, mostly at the start, the the pre-credit sequence, I'm thinking. Like, I, I couldn't stand a single 
decibel of her overacting in that sequence. But as mentioned, further along, she completely redeems herself. Obviously, it goes without saying that they're doing spiffingly as the foes as well. And as discussed, this is Midnight 2.0. That means this is not just a, a bottle episode. This is a bottle in a bottle episode in that we're not only confined to a, a very limited space, but inside of that space, we're all confined within their heads. And it's a groovy place to be. I am loving it, including being inside Donna's head. It's really quite entertaining. Production value is off the charts. And this may be the last time that I say that because that's just the norm nowadays. However, I will call out the one most dreadful effect that springs to mind, namely the head in a crotch, which we didn't talk about. We've mentioned this before <laughs> pressing record. The bit where oh. Tennant flips backwards and all of a sudden we get his head just superimposed over his crotch. It looks so <laughs> naff. It's absolutely horrible. Everything yeah. else is fabulous, as I know you'll wholeheartedly agree, Marie. For example, the TARDIS spinning into the wall, the flames <laughs> shrieking out of it. All of it flawless. There's a lot of fun and quirky creativity crammed into this episode, though to the... <sighs> Oh, to the flaws, I might count that I'm not so sure that this creativity ever actually goes anywhere. So to give you an example of that, so the, the foes, we talked about this a little bit, the foes can grow in size, they can spawn fangs for no reason whatsoever, and nothing is ever done with it. They, they should be virtually unbeatable, but one of them can be outrun, and the other's kryptonite is ramps. So big whoop, who cares? I, I, I don't mind. Greatest asset, an eminently rewatchable episode. I, I've now seen it twice. I will happily watch it a third time. I'm not going to wait as long as it will take me to go through all of New Who again. Again, terrific stuff. Second greatest asset, the Wilf Surprise. Biggest <laughs> flaws. Where's the crew? And, of course, the missed opportunity to kill off Donna for good. Main takeaway, <laughs> the sheer mavitational pull of this duo <laughs> makes for great televisions. Well done, Rusty. Well done, D&D. &D. And you know what? Now I bet nothing can keep them from ending this trilogy on a high. I've... <laughs> uh, uh, you have talked me down a little bit, Marie. We've descended similarly. I'm now at a 4.3. Okay. I started at a 4.6, by the way. I took it down to a 4.2, and after both of your minis, I took it back up to a 4.3. Without Marie here, I think we'd have talked to each other up to a 5 each. The two of us, we would have changed the rating scale. <laughs> <laughs> I've remembered one more point that I don't think I got to say. Do you remember the scene where Donna is in the room with the fake doctor and he goes, oh, my arms are too big? Or it might be the other way around. One of them's in the room with the other one. Anyway, whatever. And the camera pans over and she looks at the doctor and she's, oh, I see nothing wrong here. And then the camera pans down and then the like, massive arms flop out and she's, oh, no, dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> oh the worst nightmare and it's, they just forgot like the cinematography in this was excellent mostly i think the like direction of the camera was incredible but like these particular scenes i think it happened a couple of times where they just assume that the eye and the camera are the same and so you look through yeah, the camera right. and then you pan down and it's no all of him was available to her <laughs> visually. You don't need you yeah. Nobody looks at a face and yeah. then pans down when the arms are like five times their normal size. That's the first thing you Do you see. think maybe they so. grew the same way that his jaw grew in that scene? And he, he's, oh, my arms are too no. big. And actually, they're just like a millimeter too big. And when she looks over, they're just growing to that size. No, I do not. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Shall we see if 
Podcast Land agrees with any of this? Let's. This loving is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max two fifty, or it would get out of hand. Okay, so we have seven. Seven. Yeah. Ooh. Plus six reviews. Whoa. We're going to read out four of them. <laughs> the first one is from, I believe, a new <laughs> who goes by the name of Chris. Hello, Chris. Oh, hey, Chris. Chris the Welcome fan. aboard this stuttering temporal vehicle, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we have been getting quite a lot of new reviewers. I know. It's a good thing we continued. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having faith in us that we'd ever come back. Yeah, no need to convince me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Chris begins with one word. Wilf. Five stars. Chris continues, but seriously, I loved all caps. Loved this episode. Everything from the corny mavity joke to the weird body horror to the slow burn mystery at the heart of this story was right up my alley. The doppelgangers are such a clever analogy for our social media personalities. Ooh, another take. RTD manages to take away all Doctor's tools, his Sonic, his TARDIS, and most important of all, his cleverness. <laughs> to make for a truly tense and intriguing story. There wasn't a single moment of this episode that I didn't enjoy. And the ending, that was just a cherry on top. Oh, fabulous stuff, Chris. Yeah, That's that marvelous. was a point. I did make a note to say, okay, so you have to figure out this mystery or you're fucked. But if you figure out this mystery, you're fucked. You're I thought that was <laughs> excellent construction. Yeah, yeah that's, that is a very good plotting. And a really good mini. Thank yeah. you very much, Chris. Nice uh, one, Chris. Very glad to be traveling down this temporal road with you. Yeah. Chris, if I had read your mini before I gave my mini, you might have brought me up. That is the best review anyone can give any mini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Changing minds, changing lives. Who's <laughs> next? Right, next up, it's GP Haynes. GP! I said, I said G, you said P. G. Hey, G. P. Yes, right. <laughs> Hello, GP. GP begins. Hey, everyone. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Here's my mini. I really loved this bottle episode. I'm absolutely loving this top quality production. And here we have a mysterious spaceship, a strange robot, and just all around weirdness. And it's Enough said already about the special effects, but it's blended perfectly with creepy performances by the Doc and Donna. I totally love this. And who cares that we haven't seen the toy maker yet? Not me. And GP Haynes rounds off. This is brilliant. More, please. More. And gives it a marvelously generous with a huge heart. <laughs> a 4.95. Huge arms. <laughs> Presumably five huge arms. Cheers, big limbs. <laughs> All the way from that's Australia. An... Yeah, that's an Australian size generosity, mate. That's not a big heart. <laughs> this is a big heart. <laughs> yes. Excellent mini GP. Thank you very much. People who are not GP can follow GP on Insta and YouTube. Just go looking for Find a G's buds, finding them in the wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> And finding G-spots, finding them wherever they are. Yeah. <laughs> On Instagram and YouTube. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you a personal story about my relationship with Jim? Oh, yes. Man. Yes, absolutely on the record. <laughs> the other day he said to me, one of the my favorite things about you, or maybe not the favorite, but he was like, I really love how crap you are at making up songs. And it really offended me because I just made up a song and I thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
What was the song you'd made up? Oh, nothing. You just sing nonsense. You do it, Leon. Don't pretend you don't. Oh, constantly. I've, I've heard you. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked a personal story. I'm glad it wasn't about your G-spot. <laughs> Which was what Leon was also expecting. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> my next stop, it's Michael. Ridgeway. 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 Love you, Michael. Great to have you back. Love you, Michael. Michael. So great, Michael. Michael begins with his customary lists of likes. First, The Thing, Paranoia, and Creepy Body Horror. I hadn't the foggiest who was real throughout. Bravo! The Dead Captain's Slow Master Plan. Very pulp sci-fi. Next up, we have a non-smarmy, non-sonic finale. I loved it that the Doctor didn't appear to know which was the real Donna until he got one into the TARDIS for a sneaky scan. Hmm. Mm. Still love you, Michael. A pre-credit scene solely... <laughs> <laughs> Michael's next like is a pre-credit scene solely for the purpose of a single, albeit running, joke. Mm. And the final is that cameo. God bless him. After which Michael launches into a list of (laughs) The hostile action displacement system was total bollocks. Even with the reset explanation (laughs) in air quotes, this makes no sense. Why would the TARDIS be preset to abandon its pilot? There must be dead timelines all over the place because of this uber design flaw. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, Michael. Yeah, very good. (laughs) Next, (laughs) despite being super creepy, the creatures were a bit unthreatening Mm. when they made physical contact. Donna seemed to clobble her doppelganger pretty easily. Maybe we needed some expendable crew members to be horribly dispatched. Mm. Yes, exactly. And final poof. The timeless child shenanigans not being quietly junked. Interesting. Oh, Michael. No, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Marie. Yeah, does he rate this somehow? I believe he does. Michael gives this a generous 4.5 out of 5. Big hugs for Bernie. Actually, that's not generous for Bernie. You should give Bernie five hugs. What oh, a small hug. Oh, small. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Michael. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and Michael continues. Let's give, Let's just give Bernie got 10 out of 10 hugs. And then let's continue with Michael's rating of 4.5. Midnight with a Budget was the best episode in Yonks. A level of enjoyment only surpassed by the continuation of your fabulous podcast. Oh, Michael. Happy New Year, Team Hubak, when you wonderful people. Yes. Oh, Thanks, Michael. Michael. Oh, my God. Happy New goodness. Year to you, you wonderful Happy person. Yeah. Year. Yes. So big. My goodness. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> people who want to see just how big Michael Ridgeway is, go to Twitter slash X and say hello at bad underscore movie. Underscore. Club. No more underscores. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Huge. Hey, Michael. <laughs> Who's next? Why, next up, it's Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. 
Hey guys, says Tracy, let's jump right in. Once again, there's a lot of great stuff here, and only a couple of things that bummed me out. Skipping to the end, I was not a fan of the doctor picking the wrong Donna. He says he eventually noticed a fractionally different arm length, but I'd like to imagine it was more along the lines of him having no idea which Donna to choose, but assuming the fake Donna would reveal itself almost immediately. Next up, uh, Tracy doesn't like it when it feels like 14 is doing an impression of Hen, trying to hit the mannerisms and saying the catchphrases. To me, it makes so much more sense that the character will have grown and changed. What I am really loving is this affectionate side he's showing. It's sweet when he kisses Donna's hand. It really is, actually. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. They really are the best of friends who love each other deeply. Oh, yeah, totally agree. I think there's a moment where he kisses her forehead as well, or like the top of her head. It's really lovely. It's something he hasn't done before. I love a forehead kiss. That's so sweet. I know. It's great. Yeah. Tracy's still enjoying how the new episodes look. There's a great behind the scenes video showing the fantastic giant hand prosthetics they used. Just incredible. Tracy also liked the little story 14 tells about a park TARDIS creating a society-wide mythology in a city that eventually crumbles to nothing. Agreed. Yes, a new 14 was pulling her leg about the gooey frames being poisonous. Mm. Same, same Tracy. Tracy continues, this episode is such a wonderful showcase for the actor's range. Maybe the best performance for both was the scene where the real Doctor opens up to the fake Donna. Yes. Yeah, fake Donna goes from so sweet to so horrible, and the Doctor reacts with this perfect look of half-expected but still gut-wrenching betrayal. I believe I cited that at the very beginning of the episode five yes, you hours did. ago. you did. And you also pointed <laughs> out that she goes super common. <laughs> she does go super common. But uh, yeah, I agree. That was like the... And, oh, that was very good. But yeah, that's the same scene I singled out as well. That's the year of the gas leak scene. It's terrific. Mm. I just it uh, upsets me that it wasn't with real Donna. It should have been with real Donna. Ah, uh, who cares? She was about ninety-two percent at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy goes on. Husband from America's only comment was that he, quote, really felt the mavity of that episode, end <laughs> quote. Nice one, husband from America. Mm-hmm. And Tracy's rating is, wait, are we seriously just going to leave mavity? Question mark. Uh, yeah, for a while. Apparently. Looks like yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. Apparently. Thank you very much, Tracy. People who are not Tracy should absolutely hop online and high-five Tracy and give Tracy the biggest digital hug ever. They should. Tracy can be found at... That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards, almost. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Love you, Tracy. Let's read them all. There's not that many left. There's so many. <laughs> we'll get one to no. snip. I'm snipping Kieran Evans. Kieran Evans says, oh, the merity of the situation. And then a few snips later, he awards it four out of five, but tempted with a 4.25. <laughs> Kieran, I believe that rounds up to a 4.3. A very Uh, solid rating. Thank you very much. People rounds down to a (laughs) (laughs) 3.2. People who are not Kieran and slash or are interested in renting environmentally conscious large-scale vehicles, uh, head on over to at KJEvans2 for all your Evan needs. Thank you, Kieran. 
Who's next? Next up, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. <laughs> that gets worse every time. My eyes roll further and further back in the head. I'm worried they won't roll back one of these days. <laughs> Andy says, hello, chaps. Snip, snippity, snip, snips, and concludes with, I award this story five equine-type life-form skeletons crashing against the hull out of five. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, five, five out of five. That's two out of two. He is enjoying the 14th Doctor era. Holy moly. Andy, thank you very much. People who are not Andy, read Andy's mini and it's full splendor on whobackman.com, obviously. And the same goes for Kieran Evans. Obviously. And say hi to Andy online at Caffrey's 71. That's 71. What? I think it might be Caffrey's. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. Who's last? I think... Up last, we have Mikey J. What up, Mikey? What's up, Mikey? Hey, up, Mikey. Marvellous Mikey begins, hello, beautiful podcast host. So glad you're back. And to cut a long story short, Mikey likes the special effects, long arms, the whole opening, and will. Way. Way. And overall, Mikey would give this episode a 4.6 screaming Donna Puddles out of 5. Yes, Mikey. Yes. Fabulous, Mikey. Excellent rating. I love that in that scene as well, <laughs> the stripes on her jumper also ran and were uneven. I like nice. that her her boots, you can see her feet, her, the, the soles of her boots are sticking out at odd angles to her sides. <laughs> see that oh so good oh, i just like that donna's absence. melting <laughs> <laughs> mikey Keep thank you for your mini me. thank you very much podcast land please head on over to back when i come and read this mini in its full splendor which is full by the way mm-hmm. yeah it, thank you very much mikey in fact thank you very much everyone who sent something in for this episode you have enriched us all so that's what everybody thinks, but yeah. what's next? In the Classic Who channel, we will be reviewing an unearthly child in 2096, so please stay tuned for that. Okay, so some of the <laughs> some of our youngest fans may still be around. Uh, possibly. Kiss. We'll just have AI do it for us. That's exactly right. Yeah. Who yeah. back when will be immortalized? What about the audio channel? Uh, it just says nope. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> that is correct, yeah. We have currently have no plans to review an Audio Who adventure. Marie, what about New Who, though? I just did the audio one. But I do believe, <laughs> next up, we will be disseminating the giggle. We shall be disseminating the giggle. Just you wait, podcast land. <laughs> yeah, we'll await dis- our dissemination. <laughs> we shall disseminate that all over you. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Drew, do we have any bonus episodes in the pipeline? Any number of things, dear friend, but likely the 14th Doctor retrospective when we're done with the giggle. Yeah, yeah. Some spicy opinions about that episode coming up, methinks. Oh, yes. Muy caliente. Oh, yeah. But in the meantime, people can say hi to us online. They can. You can email me, and indeed any member of the Who Back When crew, at whobackwhen at gmail.com, and indeed in our collective Twitter account, at whobackwhen. I promise to forward said missives. You can say hi to me as well. I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, on Twitter slash X, whatever the hell that's called nowadays. Yeah, that's it. Marie, where can you be found? Are you still on Insta? I, you can find me on the Insta. I haven't posted on the Insta for a long time, but maybe 2024 is the year that I will start posting again, so you never know. Yeah, so anyway, cut a long story called, short, where can I find you? It's called <laughs> 
No, it's How not. Much no, it's not. No, <laughs> oh, well, those are three of my favorite things. <laughs> very similar to the very first blooper of the last blooper reel. <laughs> very similar. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that about wraps it up for us Bye. and this review of wild blue yonder thank you so much for listening podcast land you've been a fantabulous audience even the ai versions of you who i can't tell apart from the rest of you now rock on and cha chow yeah please do be run next into each other and catch you in the next one yeah cha chow is what i say man <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was imitating you to like 99.9%. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Marie, save us. Goodbye. I love you all. You're fabulous people and keep being fabulous in 2024. Oh, that's how you do it. Oh, nice. (laughs) Shitty. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Shitty. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode and lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points that's it rock on and be rad and excellent to each other catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode until then ciao ciao who back when